Hello, and welcome to Marketing on Purpose. I'm your host, Michael Fennick, partner at RDV. Today on the podcast, we're joined by industry analyst Jeremiah Oyang and TrueFan CMO Karen O'Brien. Jeremiah helps his clients solve how new technologies connect companies to their customers, and together we discuss how Silicon Valley has changed in the last six months, what is 5G and its impact on the world, wellness at work, as well as an in-depth conversation around data privacy. Enjoy. Jeremiah. Hi. Hey. So Jeremiah, you're a Silicon Valley luminary. The last time I saw you, I think we were at the Stanford Automotive Research. Oh yeah. Right? That was awesome. Mm -hmm. That was phenomenal. You've been featured in Fast Company. You've got Kaleido Insights going on. What's going on? So I do run a firm called Kaleido Insights and and I was grateful to have both of you as as members and customers of my last last company, Catalyst uh, slash Crowd Companies. Uh, and the market has changed. They're looking for a broader set of technology. So we launched Kaleido Insights as an advisory firm uh, and with a research component. And I have a number of business partners, including Jessica um, Krupman and Jamie Shemansky. And uh, we are uh, working with large companies on a number of, of trends. Uh, in particular, the ones that I think are extremely relevant to t- today are tech well-being, uh, tech wellness, which is coming out of the tech industry not the healthcare industry, they're behind on this. Mm-hmm. So Apple, Google, and Amazon are like, and, and hundreds of startups are leading it. And the traditional health companies like, oh my God, we're now we're competing with the tech industry. And this has become more important now than ever. Of course, those markets are emerging. And then secondly is looking at the future of, of work, what that, whatever that could mean and, and how those two have become extremely relevant uh, topics um, as of today. So yes, I am in an airstream. I've actually had this for a number of years. I kept it kind of quiet, but but after the conference space kind of dried up because of COVID, I started to make public noise that hey, I am available as a speaker now for your digital and virtual events. It's speaking of trying to be agile in the in the world of the future of work. And so yes, this is called the Tiny Airstream Studios. It's in my backyard. And the top questions I get are, do you take it out? And do you live in it? And the answer is no, I don't take it out. It is a dedicated office and a full business write-off. It is for business. And I, and I haven't actually even slept in it yet. So it's just um, a place where I get work done quietly. Super cool. You're in Silicon Valley. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing changing in the past six months in Silicon Valley? Significant, significant changes. The, the whole premise of the importance of being in Silicon Valley is dissipating. So you don't need to be in Silicon Valley to be successful. In fact, many of the young startups are just virtual first, virtual only. Um, many tech companies have said we are going to shutter up the offices until X date in the future, months, quarters, years out, or some of them say indefinitely. For example, we heard that from uh, companies like Twitter, for example. But we also saw some hybrid examples, companies like Coinbase, said they will collapse their San Francisco headquarters, a very expensive property they had on Market Street in downtown. And instead, they will have at least a dozen small regional offices around the globe to appease to people who just want to live in their particular region. Pinterest actually uh, closed their building south of Market. And construction on new headquarters have slowed as well. There's no reason for that. Yeah. Um, so the question is, what is the role of Silicon Valley? 
and, and what will it matter in the future when people don't need to assemble and that physical serendipity of running into amazing people. Like when, when the both of you were at your last firm in Soma District in Mission Bay, that is, that is well, sorry, that was a hubbub of startups. Yeah. Like re- yep. literally in your hallway or across the street, you run into entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yep. And we hung out at the Battery and we hung out at Bucks. So what do you think that's going to do yeah. to culture, Jeremiah, in terms of uh, productivity and creativity? Is it going to have an impact? So I was recently hired to do a research project with Ring Central. You guys know Dave Peck, I think. Yeah. And uh, so we are going to publish a whole survey findings, you know, a real formal study with 4,000 respondents. And there's some variations in productivity, self-reported, and it really depends upon if that individual is ready to work at home. And secondly, does the culture of the organization foster community? Mm-hmm. It's not just about, do you have broadband and do you have Slack? It's actually, we found other things like, are they enabling people to come together and encouraging them to come together that could actually increase productivity? So just going back to Silicon Valley though and, and productivity, Thinking a few years out, I, I do think that the leadership class and the executive class and the decision maker class will stay and remain in Silicon Valley. Their families are here, their schools are set up, and their peer-based network is here. But for those that um, are not in leadership positions, maybe they're operational or they're in finance or they're or just in the early phases of their career, there's no reason for them to be here and pay those expensive prices. Mm-hmm. They can live from wherever they want and, and I think a globalized workforce thinking about you can get the top talent from any country now as well uh, really encourages uh, employers to think about a wide myriad of locations. So um, I think Silicon Valley will retain the leadership class, but overall the culture um, I think will suffer when it comes to innovation. It's going to it's going to um, uh, dissipate. But that's just my take. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think that Silicon Valley is very adaptable because, you know, having worked in a lot of, it depends on, I guess, which part of Silicon Valley you're talking about, but a lot of the global companies, I mean, Mm. Michael can attest to this. When we worked together, we would, you know, kind of push, uh, when I was in consulting, push clients or when we were at Woo, you know, push our leadership to meet with us in person. And then we'd all meet in an office and dial in people from around the globe. You know, I I think that people who work in global companies have that experience. I think I think they'll be adaptable, but I think there's going to be significant changes in funding and in the ability to grow companies the way they have in the past. Yeah, I'd agree. I I think we're we're all adept in in doing international business and we've become accustomed to to that way of life. And I, I think, you know, that that helps us now. What I'm wondering is how do we check performance? Do we look at performance a different way because people are, you know, sitting on their, on their beds doing business and maybe are not as productive, right, during the day? And this is all new to, to everyone, but I just throw that out there to see, um, you know, both of you are consultants, uh, myself as well. So we can get up at two in the morning and, and, and have a, an idea and build a deck, whatever it may be. Um, but I'm not sure if most of the workforce is, is used to that. So I'm just wondering how we're going to measure that when we really can't, <laughs> other than, you know, a receivable. I've heard during COVID that a lot of industries are changing their leadership um, metrics, performance mm-hmm. metrics. And I think that varies from industry to industry, but I do think performance metrics are going to look much different. 
Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jeremiah? Yeah, I think you have to trust the team and empower them to be working in a distributed way. So you need to focus on milestone goals. Did they hit the deadline with the actual deliverables? I think that's how it's going to be done. But at the same time, the staff is going to be rating the executive team. Did they support us in that way? Were they there for us during this time of transition? So I think it's also going to depend on the company. So we, we will see. Many, many companies now are being very gentle. The employee base is very fragile right now. Um, and especially, you know, there's cultural and social and, and even inequity that's brought to the boardroom right now, even around Black Lives Matter. There's a lot of sensitivity about the workers and the workers' rights right now, and plus with layoffs, it's it's just a very tenuous period. So I think companies need to be careful about be dra- about being draconian. Did you hit your date? And did you get it done on under budget? Now I, I'm not sure that's going to go over well right now. Right. You know, I, I just did a, a podcast with a gentleman named uh, Moshe Ellsberg, um, who wrote a book, and the focus was using love <laughs> as a metaphor uh, for business. Um, so it, it's essentially the opposite of Sun Tzu, right? So everything's militarized, you're focused on the bottom line, but if you flip that on its head and make your workers and strategy and communications really focused around be yourself, come as yourself to work, and, and focus on the, those things that um, are the opposite of, of what we see, right? It's not about the bottom line. It's about um, loving what you do, caring for your workers, caring, and then therefore obviously caring and focusing on your customers is, is something that, that's somewhat foreign to what I think mm-hmm. we're all used to. Leading with empathy. Um, I do know yeah. some uh, people who, whether companies did say bring yourself to work, mm-hmm. which they have no choice because there's crying kids in the background. Uh, by the way, that's another reason I got into Airstream <laughs> years ago, right? Uh, before it was acceptable for have kid, giving kids run in b- behind you in a Zoom call, which if this happened right now on um, any of us, we might be okay with it, right? I mean, it's different. The times are different. Uh, right. But I did, I have friends who work at a conservative tech company in Silicon Valley and the executive sent out, a, a, one executive sent out a LinkedIn email, how it, you still need to maintain professionalism and your kids should not appear and be distracted. And that did not go over well with at staff when they were, when they thought it was okay to bring yourself to work. Wow. Um, yeah. I think so, there's been a lot of surprises in companies. I the the CEO of Levi's has publicly said that they held town halls um, around that topic and were very shocked by some of the things they heard because they thought they were doing well. Hmm. And what they heard was that no, that there was sort of an expectation of how you should be at work and that in itself kind of prevented you from bringing your real self to work Mm. and that they had a lot of work to do. But I actually really applaud him Mm. for being open about that. So I wonder if that's a new metric though, you know, that, that happiness factor, not happiness, uh, wholeness factor moving forward. Jeremiah, what, what do you see happening in the next six months? It's a million dollar question for everybody, right? Uh, In terms of, of, of work, economy, focus, innovation, Mm -hmm. I think we're actually going to have some rough times ahead for us as uh, as workers and culturally and economically and politically. So mm-hmm. uh, while I consider myself a realist, I am planning for some potentially bad scenarios. Yeah. And so something that managers need to think about is that we might see an increase in sickness and flu physically uh, as it naturally may happen, uh, even though we're segmented. 
and as well as COVID, as well as people are sequestered inside physical buildings with maybe other people, that could increase that chance. And secondly, what's below the surface and you can't detect from coughing is uh, mental depressions and yep. people might be going down. And um, I can relate to that. We all are going through significant changes right now. And so the executive team and leadership and, and line level managers need to be empathetic around employees. And by the way, the people who are, could be the most suppressed could be those people I just mentioned, right? right. They might be under the most pressure. Uh, so, you know, really thinking about taking care of each other, I think is going to be critical. Um, if, if you're in the United States and of course your partners with the United States, then you, you will have an economic ripple effect, but I expect severe, significant fluctuations and, uh, to happen in November and December and January and, uh, productivity will slow down and we will see civil unrest. And, and so people might want to take off time from work to focus on political issues or on voting. And, and so there's going to be some flexibility required. Yet at the same time, the market's not going to slow down. Right. The direct-to-consumer e-commerce business, digital businesses are exploding right now, and companies have to shift how their business models are happening. Even physical retailers need to get ready for you know curbside delivery. So innovation, as you are both seasoned ex executives in innovation, know that, that you have to crank it up even more right now and help people to be flexible. So I think this is a very timely conversation, Michael and Karen, that I think we're going to have some significant changes in the next six months. We've talked about this, Karen, in the past number of months in, in terms of uh, the need to digitize. Everyone needs to digitize. Where, where do you see that happening in the next six months, in the next year, the need for it? I, I, I can't say that there's not a need for it, whatever industry you're in. It's as simple as, you know, traditional businesses that for whatever reason didn't digitize to the extent they should have. And I'll just take an example like the nail salon that I go to. When lockdown happened here and they shut down, a couple of months into it, I tried giving them a call to see if they knew when they might be opening. And if, because I wanted to get on the, you know, if even if it was two months out, I wanted to get on their, their list. And two months. They wow. called me, they called me three months or three weeks later and they said, oh, Karen, like we didn't have your number. And I realized their entire contact system was basically a, a paper ledger that they basically wrote people's names and phone numbers, not even last names. So they had to move from that to a contactless check-in when I went there. Right. So then when I went jump. in... I sign in on an, an iPad, I give my contact information, they email me a, a receipt. But just that simple, like having people's names, numbers, contact info, if they don't have that, they can't do any kind of digitization, right? Mm -hmm. So something that simple. And, um, and then it enables them once they have people's contact info to do marketing or to do outreach or to do you know, some sort of promotion and communications. But I think those companies that have been really just resisting that for whatever reason are going to have a real problem. Mm. And then there's others that I feel are, are really, um, you know, really pivoting and they're going direct to consumer businesses or they're doing whatever they can. Some of them are completely reimagining their businesses. Um, and I think they're going to do pretty well, but the, it's going to be difficult because they're literally having to change their entire business operations end to end. Mm. That's significant. And if they, if they don't do this, what happens? Yeah. 
They're done. I have seen also, yeah. you know, some a lot of a lot of uh, solopreneurs kind of starting up, and and you know, ones that are good at social, good at digital, um, starting their own businesses and seem to be doing pretty well. So there there might be some silver linings in this. I'm noticing um, a number of startups are emerging in the direct-to-consumer space. They have no physical store. Sometimes they actually just purchase products in from a manufacturer overseas. They never actually see the product. It's just they're yep. just managing the flow, and they build really modern websites and apps for every single category, from essential oils to um, you know to sandals to Cosmetics. mattresses. Yeah, yeah, to webcam, whatever it is, and just put a fancy wrapper around it. I mean, protein shakes, like whatever, and and remarket it for the millennial Gen Y market, uh, which obviously will go to the older segments once you capture that market. And so I'm seeing that happen in every single category. Every single aisle in the department store is now getting a competitor online that is offering this, including subscription models, membership models, um, you know, discounts, and so. Uh, people are getting more and more comfortable with e-commerce. Even Home Depot right now, I don't have to go in. I use their app for curbside delivery. That's a form of e-commerce. And this is wonderful. I had to purchase a heavy item. And I purchased it. And 30 minutes later, they texted me. And they said, your item's ready. I pull up into the, into the spot. And there's a message. And you tell them what spot you're in on the app. And I open the trunk. I didn't have to get on my car. They loaded the heavy item in. And I went to my house. So that's a new business model that has to be rethought about. And that's impressive. They were able to turn that together in about three months. You know, what really bugs me about that, Jeremiah, personally, is those parking spots for the, uh, the pickup are the best parking spots. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Let me ask about, in a similar vein, uh, apps and TikTok and what is going on. What do you know? So there's a number of competitors to TikTok, Byte and Triller. Maybe you've heard of them. I am aware and I'm monitoring how certain generations and, and cohorts are using those. Um, I don't have um, um, TikTok on my phone for security concerns, uh, but I am aware that the best videos end up on other social networks anywhere. We are seeing a number, some a new category of apps emerge called audio first social networks. In particular, Clubhouse is grabbing the market amongst the business cohort really rapidly. And uh, that makes a lot of sense during times of isolation. People want to hear voices, yet sometimes doing back-to-back -back Zoom calls, live calls, um, it can be taxing. Like right now, I'm looking at the camera you know, to show you everybody's watching. I'm engaged with you. That takes effort, right? And then I have to look at your body language and yours, Karen, and that takes effort, right? Versus if we are face to face and I've had coffee with you guys dozens of times, right. you know, for work and outs and for, for personal stuff, like it's less effort. It's enjoyable because I it, we're here, right, and I can see you. You know, it's very touch you. You know, um, we can smell each other. There's it's a very different thing. There's so many other sensory bits we can pick up, but here it's so forced, right? right. Uh, but it's the best we got. So we're definitely seeing that audio-based social networks are on the rise because it's a nice medium in between text. You can have it on all the time without having to worry about texting. And also the empathy goes up in audio-based right. uh, form as well. So that I think is going to be a common trend that comes out of COVID. You mentioned security. I'm the same way. I, I watch TikTok videos on YouTube via my smart TV. <laughs> I'm not on TikTok, but I watch TikTok videos just in the background. It's For me, that's entertainment. But there's 
Is there a TikTok TV channel now? <laughs> yeah, well, there's many of them. There's <laughs> oh many my them. god! Yeah, there's a lot of them, um, and they're usually you know half hour long, but very very interesting. I guess my question is, what's going on politically with TikTok? You know, there's been concerns that the government wanted to sell TikTok, but you mentioned security, and I guess that's why I'm bringing up mm -hmm. this question. So, what what is your sense of these apps and security in that realm? Yeah, not to say that any of the other social networks are are locked down secure right. as we know from 2016 elections like that. That's not that's not to say anything is like that. But when you think about um, who is getting the potential data, where are their servers located? You know, right. there's always concerns that I want to think about and as a citizen of which country. And so just to reduce, of course, there's uh, <laughs> been critiques around even this platform, Zoom, where is that data going as well? Right. So in, in no ways are we ever immune to, to any of these things, but plus with cloud services, where are those servers located? Uh, and what are the terms of service? We, we just don't really know. And if, it, if a user is using that app in another country, is their government sniffing that data that you're having a conversation with? Like, we just don't know unless it's perhaps encrypted end-to-end -end on both ends. So I'm not a security expert, so I'm just trying to reduce uh, where I can potential fallout. Uh, but um, when it comes to the political aspects, I am reading what you are reading in the news, and I, I'm seeing it being used as a football, um, and yeah. that is um, uh, something that is uh, interesting to watch, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, one thing that, that I see that's really interesting, Karen, I don't know if you've seen this as well, but just security around the web uh, in general, you know, growing up uh, in the late 90s, getting accustomed to technology and then understanding what a secure server is, HTTPS. My kids don't have, you know, and they're teenagers, my kids have no clue about data security, nor I don't think they care. And I think that happened in one generation. And I think it's scary. The fact that you just used a URL, I don't think that's, I think that's an anachronism for the younger <laughs> generations. They don't use URLs. They don't need it's URLs. It's true. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I think Gen Z, they are aware. They just, they're willing to do a value exchange. Hmm. They have less money. They have, they have a greater need for convenience, right? So yep. it's, in, it's in their favor to use the, whatever's easy and free. That's a great insight. It's it's convenience, and they'll trade that off for for uh, nefarious. But extremely knowledgeable too. I mean, I've seen eight year olds who can hide their browser history. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean. But can they do it at the router level that the parents can no. see? That's the question. <laughs> but yeah, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Triller. I check them all out. I have no concerns, and I I will really miss TikTok if it gets shut down. I really will. What do you think of the Instagram variant, the version they I, launched? I mean, I love Reels. I think it's probably going to take over TikTok. Globally? Yeah. Yep, I think so. Just the sheer, the sheer Marketing. amount of people that are on, yeah, and the sheer amount of people that are on Instagram, I think, I think it will, it will be quite successful. Hmm. It has a little ways to go with its um, navigation. Isn't quite as intuitive as TikTok, but, um, but yeah, I think it'll do well. Jeremiah, tell us more about Kaleido and where you guys are focused in the next uh, six to 12 months. Sure. So Kaleido Insights is a research consulting and advisory firm. We're focusing on uh, new, new, new and emerging technologies and what they mean to companies. So there's two main areas that we're focused on. One is traditional, quote, digital transformation. And we interviewed Karen for some of our research in that area. 
and have built some tools to help companies. And we actually helped a, um, a large international airport assessing their digital maturity across 60 different criteria and helping them advance their company, their organization. Uh, and that was pre-COVID. Um, companies are slowing down right now on how they're looking at DT because they have to stop and say what's crucial and critical. And mm -hmm. some of them were not even prepared to think bigger. Like they're like, oh my goodness, we don't even have um, Slack or telecom or, or anything available for people at home that's secure. So they had to restart. The other area is looking at emerging trends. And I briefly talked about that. And we see this in a number of areas uh, from the future of work to uh, modern well-being. We also look at uh, digital privacy and trust, which we just touched upon. Um, ambient computing, which means uh, IoT and 5G around us and everything around us becomes intelligent. Uh, what does that mean? And um, other topics related uh, to around digital and sustainability. Is there anything you could talk about uh, 5G? Because I think that's, you know, that's an interesting topic. Uh, and it's obviously topical, but what, what do we need to know about 5G? What are the benefits? What are the downsides? Sure. So at a basic level, um, the benefits are that it's going to enable uh, point technologies, objects around us, whether they be cars or coffee machines or appliances or even smart windows, window shades. And so all of these appliances and devices inside of this is like a house, basically, will talk to each other and communicate to each other in rapid order. And it'll be enabled through a 5G network. And so this is going to enable what we call it, you know, this ambient computing. So the computing will be happening around us. And potentially it could be happening point to point or peer to peer. That's also called edge computing. And the, and the importance of that is that it can happen without relying on a central server. So it can happen faster and it can happen independently. And so the, the computing could be happening in a more distributed way, therefore increasing the power and speed. So um, none of that really, really matters. That's all technical. So the end result is the, the non-living world around us becomes, quote, intelligent and aware and can start to act on it you know, because it's connected and can start to behave in an intelligent way around us. And that's both exciting and frightening at the same time. Um, in fact, I, I did a TED Talk at the Frankfurt Auto Show called When Cars Become Alive. And it was basically that premise is like what happens when cars are self-intelligent and can talk to each other and can talk to the grid and can talk to the cloud and they can eventually know when to get their tires changed and they know when to get recharged and they can do it on their own because they can drive themselves and they can deliver people and or packages. Right. And, and the main thrust of this is thinking, combining machine learning and this connected devices at, at a certain point, it'll know it's at full capacity. It's being used um, maybe 23 hours a day and, it's earned money by dro dropping people off and cargo that right. it actually has enough money to purchase a replicant car, perhaps entirely on its own. Uh, and so <laughs> that's kind work? Of, on its, to ha hire a, a team around it to do right. its work. In, in essence, like um, imagine appliances, um, your air filter should automatically know when the purifier needs to be replaced. So it orders it on its own from the website and it's delivered to the house and it orders a repair person to come in that's trusted and changes itself. And when it's at its end of its life after maybe 10 years, it knows it needs to replace itself and purchases a replacement for itself and hires well, somebody to do it. I mean, so that's the levels that it could go on to. And if that sounds like a biological construct of reproduction, I mean, essentially that's the thrust of, of the, the thesis is that yes, mm. these, these machines will look biological in a way.
What do you think? Do you, Crazy? do you have a concern? Do you have a concern around that? I mean, I think about Alexa and everyone's home. And I think Amazon could be a good candidate for some of that smart home technology or at least data. But I, I find it terrifying, honestly. <laughs> I think it's amazing and I can't wait. And I, I think the Alexa is, you know, one. But you, you won't have TikTok. Well, no, I think that Alexa is 1.0. What Jeremiah <laughs> had just put in my mind is I want it. That's that's 10.0. That's 20.0. And I think as long as it's designed well, <laughs> I, I love it. So I think we're on, on the other side of the fence, Karen. <laughs> no, I mean, this is a great debate and they're both valid know. points. Um, Karen, what, what are some of your fears? And then I have a follow-up question for you. I think I think having any kind of device in my house that gathers data beyond what I know does today and I I you know overtly give it permission to mm. is very frightening to me. And especially listening to conversations, I find that very intrusive. But I think that's going to be necessary to some degree if you want a completely smart house. Mm -hmm. So I do not have a smart speaker in my house other than my phone. I don't either. Uh, phones, <laughs> tablets. So yeah, I guess I do. Smart um, TV. Um, Apple TV, which has a mic on it. So kind of, kind of. Yep. Um, I know that from targeting in media. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> it's real. You can target, you can target from cinema. Well, pre-COVID, someone walking into a theater and then going home and you can then retarget them on their devices in their house. You do that today. Okay, so that is, um, <laughs> I can see why that's concerning, but you know, we can flip it over and say, oh, that's convenient. Um, yeah. Great, this, this company really wants to get in touch with me and they have a solution for me and they're just saving me the time. Okay, I'm taking this a little far. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, this, is, this is a company that really wants my business. So. Um, they're spending the money to get in front of me and there's something to be said that I'm going to take an honest look at their product or service. To Karen's point, how it's designed, the opt-in capabilities, um, and then what we see today is the most disturbing. So yeah, you know, the, the adage of, of, you know, saying something on a phone to a colleague and then seeing an ad on your Facebook for the same product is kind of disturbing. So I like the premise, Jeremiah. I, I love the premise of making everything more convenient and efficient. I'm just not sure who can design that. You know, there are companies that I would trust to do that, um, but most I wouldn't. That, that would be mm -hmm. my fear. I don't fear marketing. I fear it being, the data being used for something far more sinister. You know, political reasons for um, just... Or to shut your insurance down because you made a product decision. Now you healthcare, right? Like many different things, right? Like that right. could could happen. So let's let's um. So I I think both of your points are excellent, and and the duality represented in all of us. You brought up both of those points, so I think they're both fair. But going back to 2010, 10 years ago, like just imagining, like if we had this conversation, like oh, I'm really worried about you know this, but. And having a phone that listens to us, like I would never do that, and I would never have a you know smart uh, speaker in my house. I would never do that. I'd never have a um, a, a self-driving car or assisted yeah. car that helps me park. But that is a common thing that people are willing to do now for the convenience. So, or access my like bank it, online. And you guys know that firsthand through your work, right? 
So uh, I think this, you know, happens slowly and, and the tech companies are patient, right? This, they can be generational in this uh, and slowly releasing this. So I, I think this is um, part of the natural thing. And I, I, I think it's almost impossible to stop, unfortunately. Do you think that it's, it's going to happen slowly or it's going to accelerate? For me, I think it, it's going to accelerate with all the noise that's going on around us. We have people or entities have opportunities when there's chaos. And I think, I feel like we're in chaos. And I feel yes, like, you know, are. Hong Kong's a, a perfect example. What, what's happening in Hong Kong and the, ch- the political changes with China, and I hate to bring up political things, but it's just a, a good example of geopolitical events happening uh, when there's distraction. And I think that technology is no different. It, it, it usually takes a foothold and just like Moore's Law, you know, things just keep... 18 months. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so I suppose it's all relative. So going yeah. back to when would we have a smart home or office? Um, I don't think it's going to be like, oh, 2021, everybody's going to have that. So my point is that it'll yeah. just slowly and incrementally, like we're two generations of appliances in our homes away from them being 5G enabled and connected and, and doing something useful. So I think that's you know going to take several years. But I think when we have this conversation again in 2030, and I know we will, uh, we'll be like, wow, look, we should rewind this tape and think about like, what's happening here. Um, I actually did want to share another crazy idea with you if you're open to Bring the it. wellness. Okay. So this one gets me in trouble a lot. So I just want to first... Um, set the stage that I am going to be a little provocative, but I hope it, you, it sits with you and I hope you think about it for those that are watching. Uh, the tech companies uh, already know with great certainty and accuracy with high percentage, the natural expiration dates are of our natural lives down to the month and year. They already know. Are of our lives, you mean? Correct. They mm-hmm. already know. And that's through data analysis? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, at population level and big data analysis. Yeah. Now, I realize this is a very provocative statement, and, and I can see you fidgeting, Michael, and go, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> but this is actually not new, so, right? You, you yeah, come from I, I, financial... It wouldn't surprise me, honestly. Really wouldn't surprise me. But then I'd like them to tell me, like, you know, what, how long do I have left? Or, or give me some hints. Like, do you want to know? Maybe I don't need insurance for the next 20 years. <laughs> I don't know if I so want to know, but what are the question, pillars? Yeah. What are the pillars, Jeremiah? What do you what do you what do you know or what do you think are the pillars that they have that foundational? Sure. So uh, you're both uh, financial services technology uh, former executives, so you, you're aware of insurance and and life insurance and how they have the actuary tables. Uh, mm-hmm. Although that wasn't your primary business, but I'm sure you understand that's based upon population level and demographics and biometrics that they yeah. capture on a on a one-time report when medical records when you go in once a year. Now, this company, Apple, is collecting my information not once a year, once a second. Yeah, health information. Yeah, constantly. They know how much I sleep. They know what I'm looking at. And and then Google search engines know, um, uh, what did I search for? Is it medical information? And the location data, many of the apps and locations they know, did I go to the gym or did I go to Taco Bell and McDonald's? They know. And they also know what did I order and what type of food did I eat and that information is gathered. And, that, and it's being done at a continual data capture 
versus one-time reports. Then you multiply that by other people, middle-aged men like myself, perhaps Asian American descent, uh, similar economic, and um, uh, and they know my weight and my my circumference of my body. You can see that from photos or the clothes that I've ordered, and they have a lot of information about uh, my heart rate information and how well do I sleep. And you can draw up a model: how healthy is this person, and then come run those models by other people similar to that and, and then start to forecast how long would that person actually live based upon their lifestyle. And so that's the, the thesis that I have. They already know. So the question I suppose, uh, Karen and, and Michael is, uh, do you believe that that thesis that I brought forward? Well, Karen already does. And secondly, if you want that information, Karen, how much would you pay for that information that Michael, you said you didn't really want to know how much would you pay to make sure you and your employer did not find out? Let me answer first, because I think it's <laughs> a little bit more um, okay. complex. I don't want to know because I think I have a certain destiny. I'm more concerned about the effect on my children and their future and the determinations that are made based on my data, if that makes sense. So I, I, I guess I'm not selfish in, in terms of, you know, I want to know when my end date is. I'm more concerned about that data technology affecting the innocent, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be I traumatic don't know to if I would want to know. Sorry, go ahead. No, I want to hear your thoughts. I mean, it is a, this is a morbid topic and it, and it, and it sometimes yeah, runs people I the mean, wrong way. And I understand really. Why. I mean, sadly, I've had a few friends that have, been diagnosed with terminal illnesses over COVID and have found out that they have a limited number of years to live. And it's been, you know, one of those kind of sad moments, but then some of them tell me, you know, they've never been happier because they're living their life in a way that they know they have limited time. So they're just doing what they've always wanted to do. I don't know that I really mm -hmm. would want to know. I don't know. Also be hard to keep it from you. Like if Mark, I, Companies would start marketing to you differently if they thought oh, you were wow. ill. I never this thought of point. that. This is my point. I wanted to flip this on on the head wow. from being not morbid, but to being beneficial. So if a company, if it was Apple, I would trust Apple. Anybody else? Probably not. Understood a thesis of, okay, so here's kind of where you need to turn right instead of turning left. You need to eat more greens or you need to, you know, walk more. I, I think if, if we turn it from a morbid to a benefit from yes. a communication standpoint, that to me would be really exciting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that is also great. So if we had that data and, and this was the setup, which you think you, you brought it there the right way. If we had this information on our longe longevity, we could potentially use this information to increase our longevity because longevity because we can know which behaviors actually would increase that and the yeah. quality of our lives. So absolutely, that's helpful. Um, Karen, just to back up on one of the profound statements you, you said is that one of your friends is on a limited uh, timetable. I mean, technically we all are. So yeah. I think this is just a reminder <laughs> to live our <laughs> yeah. best, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I also, I would not be a proponent of having any of that data shared with anyone. I think is another issue. But how can you collate it though? It it would it it comes from so many different sources, from what you buy at Safeway or Trader Joe's. I, don't know. I wouldn't want it shared with my employer. I don't mm -hmm. even know if I'd want it shared with my doctor. Yeah. 
I think I want to be in charge of who sees that data and what is done with it. Yet at the same time, we don't really know. Like the, I mean, I'm downloading third-party apps for well-being and wellness and fitness and, and stuff. I don't know where that data goes. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. Yeah. I, I have yeah. like 100 apps on my phone. You may have a couple dozen as well or more. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit from marketing, from media. You know more. Planning, you, both of you know more than 99.99% of the population. But it does um, still shock me sometimes where that data ends up. I mean, even if it, you know, what if the startup collapses and they have to sell their assets, like, mm-hmm. and that data is then sell, sold Ancestry to sold all of their DNA data recently. To who? Just while we were talking here, I looked up. So Ancestry sold 75% stake in itself to Blackstone Group <gasps> for $4.7 billion. <laughs> Wow. Yep. That makes you pause. It does. Let me just send you the the story and you can yeah. think about it. It's but either way, anyone buying it that doesn't make their purpose known of why they want to buy it, I think is a little disturbing. Hmm. I'm sure that DNA testing has probably been affected by that sale. Yeah, I see that article. So basically that data could go anywhere. You really don't know. Life right. sciences. They're in yeah. life sciences as well. Uh, it, even if so, like, and you have to find out which country and what are the rules there, right? There's also HIPAA regulations depending right. on, you know, do they have population level information, right? Um, it, there's been concerns with some of these companies not representing certain minority groups correctly, and therefore they don't get the right treatments um, or certain demographics. So all of that mm-hmm. is... Uh, well, you wonder if it's sense. anonymized too. It could be anonymized data, which would, you know, change the severity of um have you ever done your dna testing michael i did i i no i did not i did it on my child on my known so my my wife was korean i'm obviously you know caucasian and i i wanted to see how valid the data was knowing knowing where i came from or my my history and wanted to see you know a 50 50 split to make sure just out of curiosity so it was, you know, 49.51 um, with the breakdown that I knew. They picked it right. Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure that I like that data out there, but I'm not sure how that data is used. You- Were you surprised by your ancestral findings? Uh, yeah. In terms of, of knowing that half of the data was mine and the other half was uh, my wife's. Um, I was kind of surprised. Um, there were African roots, Sicilian roots, you know, Northern European roots, um, and then obviously, you know, Mongolia and uh, Korean roots. So, yeah, it, it was interesting. That's basically that whole region, world. right? <laughs> pretty much <laughs> the world, right? <laughs> yeah, that's like, a, that's pretty broad. It, it's really broad, which is great. You know, I'm a product of the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was just going to say, though, I, and I also did my own eth- ethnicity sort of testing, but that, I mean, there's a disclaimer on those things. And there's a very clear, like, do you want your DNA information shared? Yes yeah. or no, check here. Right. Um, but I still, I, I always wondered where that might end up, right? It's on a server somewhere, and that server can be hacked. But um, what about you, Jeremiah? I haven't done it. Um, 
I actually had one of those kits and I was, and I was about to swab. I was like, hmm, I don't feel right about this. Why? I'm not sure where this data is going to go. It's the data, yeah. It's the data. But at the same time, I mean, have you ever drinking out of a cup at a restaurant, bar, airplane, yep. and put it down? Sure. Yep. Uh, yep. Have you ever thrown away a, a, a drink receptacle that had a straw that was in your mouth? Right. Yep. Your DNA could be taken at any of those situations. Yeah. I mean, yep. they do it enough times, you'll get an accurate reading, right? You can start to whittle that down. So I, I recognize where this is uh, headed. Hopefully so. for the good. So Jeremiah, talked about the reality that we're in right now, working at home and being focused on mind and body. You're focused on this personally, but talk to us about how to make it work, the importance of it, uh, the discipline that's needed, that sort of thing. Yeah, now more than ever, uh, we have to be so focused on, on this to be, you know, performance workers and and parents and 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 spouses and loved ones and brothers and sisters and children. Uh, but the opportunities are also higher for those that have the ability to work at home. We have more control over our diet and our fitness because we have more control over our time, and yeah. so there there is an opportunity for that. But not everybody has that. There's many people that do essential workers that go in. So thank them for the those that do that. Uh, but they also need to focus in as well. We're, society is, we have to potentially have significant burnout and, 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 and population level, uh, you know, risk. And so this is uh, critical that we, we do this. And so when we look at the well-being space, specifically in a technology lens, there's four regions. There's the mind area, which could be the meditation, software, mindfulness. And there's a whole category that we've mapped out. Two is the uh, body side, that's diet, sleep fitness, uh, movement, uh, standing, breathing, and there's apps and devices for all of those. The third one is community, you know, mm -hmm. being connected to others. Um, you know, the way we punish people in society is to isolate them yeah. as in, or even in isolated cells. So we have a desire to be with other people. Now we can't touch people. We can't, you know, normally the way I greet you two is we hug, right? We, right. we hug. And now I don't know when that would happen again. Uh, and then the fourth one is the physical space around us. And, and you can see a tinge in the air in this window behind me. It's orange. Mm -hmm. That's because there's smoke in the air in California. So the environment around us is also dynamically changing independently of COVID, although some could argue that these are all trends around sustainability. And mm -hmm. so all of that just brings together a significant amount of um, stress, not to mention political, economic, job, and, you know, and many other things as well. And course, murder hornets and CIA releases and UFOs, photos, all of that, none of that helps, right? So we have to take good care of ourselves and, and setting up a routine uh, to be efficient and effective uh, human. Give us some tips. Um, we've all been doing it for the past six months. Um, you have the most uh, beautiful environment. <laughs> the sexiest Thanks. environment uh, to be working. It's still stressful home. too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's, it's helpful um, to have a dedicated space that's quiet, yeah. right? but I still have to be, go into the house and manage like, what are the, what is the family up to? Right. Uh, and so there's those things as well. Uh, so I realize that this is certainly a privileged setup for sure, but this is how I structured my company as an entrepreneur many years ago. It yeah. just happened that I didn't know this is, would be the way everybody, would head into this. So I don't want to give away the findings from the research that I'm doing with Ring Central, but yeah. uh, certainly we looked into those who have dedicated spaces, dedicated rooms, those who have 
who are providing childcare, those that are what you know levels by managerial to executive to worker, the levels of productivity, the amount of hours, women versus men. So we have a lot of that, uh, the data. But I but I will tell you though that um, those that feel connected to others and especially those even at work, that it can matter more than having um, a dedicated office space. Mm. So the the social aspect is actually pretty critical, like what we're doing right now. Yeah. When when's the research coming out? Public? In the next few weeks. Uh, okay. So I will signal to you when that comes out. Perfect. Yeah. I've seen that too, Jeremiah. In the startup I'm in, we have a bunch of interns who every Friday we have a Friday cheers, we call it. At the end of the day, everybody grabs a drink. Those who don't drink alcohol just bring the tea or whatever. And like trivia or Pictionary or some kind of team thing. And the interns are pretty much scheming all week to trounce the leaders. They usually do. And we have a lot of fun at it. You know what I mean? Um, we do. Let's see, that's, that's so yeah. important. And we, people really need that connection. So I, I think that's critical in, in addition uh, to that. Um, we've, I've also researched how HR departments are enabling well-being and wellness, you know, from activity trackers to offering counseling. And all, so all those things are happening as well. There's a number of even software companies that broker deals with HR departments. So th- this is a wide, wide range of formal offerings from the central office to your daily practices that you manage on your own uh, and managing diet. Um, uh, I see opportunity because we can control our environment and our behaviors now more than ever. So this is a time to restart uh, some lifetime and lifestyle habits. Do you think the HR department is the one who is trusted to actually do that? Because yeah. in the decades of layoffs that have happened in larger companies and the HR business partner, which really meant that they were managing for the business, not for the individual employee. Do you really feel HR is credible to actually launch any wellness programs? It depends on the company and the culture. So at LinkedIn, their, their wellness team is really beloved. Uh, and their company culture is, of course, supposed to be about employees, employees, employees. That's what their, company, their culture is. And so they have the right to do that. But if they suspect that this data is going to be used in order to change insurance or get rid of people with pre-existing conditions, which of course would be hit the violation, uh, then people are not even going to use it right and they're going to fake it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I talked to wellness managers in HR and they said that some of their employees would fake the data. They put their activity tracker on their dogs. Or, <laughs> yeah, we just so what I would love for you guys to do is to go to joinclubhouse.com and get on that platform. Okay. I thought you couldn't get in. They're opening it up now. People are getting Ooh, in. I'll go. Yeah. That is where I think we should focus our time. Do I need a referral from you or can I? No, people, I don't think so. I think it's it's starting to open up public now. All right. I know of multiple people who are getting in. Um, let me see. It's well, a it was a very good thing. conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And it's good to see my friends and, yeah. and some chat. Thank you so much today for listening to RDB's podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at rdb.agency and on Twitter at rdbagency. Thank you once again for listening. We'll see you next time.